Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, good morning. It's Monday, October 29th, 2018. And I recall some of the, the last words I spoke to you on Friday were, well, whatever horrors happen over the weekend, we'll talk about them on Monday. And... Um, Um, all I, I'm, I'm just going to talk, uh, from, uh, my broken heart. I, um, I'm not surprised that this happened. Uh, my only surprise is that it happened around the corner from my house. It was bound to happen. Anyone who's been paying attention, and you know I do, and I have shared with you my growing concerns about rising anti-Semitism. I haven't wanted to talk about it as much as I think about it because I feared it would look, I don't know, self-serving or something. It's been a great concern of mine as I watched its rise all around the world and here. As somebody who supports the Southern Poverty Law Center, I see the stats that they put out because they track hate crimes. And I've seen the increase which has spiked since Donald Trump became our president. I do not believe that's coincidence. I was doing, I think, pretty okay, although I think I was sort of in shock all of, sat uh, all of Saturday. And then they released the names yesterday and that took me to my knees. That was not my synagogue. I didn't belong to Tree of Life. I have great affection and respect for the rabbi emeritus there, Alvin Birkin, who I know listened to my show for years because of comments he would make to me when we would bump into each other. Such a fine man. But I had spent many, many hours at Tree of Life. I'd been to weddings, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs. I've danced there. I've broken bread there, I've had meetings there, I've spoken there, I've mourned there. We buried Sally Kelson, the wonderful opinion writer for the Post-Gazette from there, from Dor Hadash, one of the congregations there. I went to, I'm sorry, I'm going to just give you some snapshots that are in my head. I once met a young girl who told me that she listened to my sh radio show. This would have been in the 80s, I think. And she, I said, how could you listen to my show? You're in school. 
when my show was on. She was like a fourth grader, fifth grader. And she said, well, I have a little, like a, a radio, and I have a head, and I put it under my hair. I said, you're listening to my show when <laughs> you're in class? And I said, I'm very flattered, but I don't really think you should do that. We struck up a friendship. Her name was Katie Letterman. Her mother, Lynette, is a past president of the congregation, Tree of Life, is a wonderful woman. They're a wonderful family. I went to Katie's bat mitzvah there, and I only met her because she surreptitiously listened to my show while she was supposed to be listening to the teacher. I went to a wedding there in the early 80s, a wedding of about 10 couples being married all at once. They were all recent emigres from Russia. Some of them had been married 20, 30 years, but they had never been allowed to have a Jewish wedding. They had civil marriages from the Soviet Union then. And once they made it here, they wanted, for the first time, being able to be openly, joyously Jewish. They wanted a wedding, so they all came together. It was one of the most amazing weddings I've ever seen. I know three of the victims. I am not just speaking the way people speak after people have died, you know, where all of a sudden their flaws disappear and they're saints. But I'll tell you the three people I know whose names are on these lists now, were some of the kindest, gentlest, selfless people. And as I've read about the victims I didn't personally know, it seems like they would fit in to that as well. The man who lies grievously injured in critical condition, Dan Ledger, is, and when I think of him, I always have, is is the kind of quality of man that is like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> He's the kind of man who exudes both authority, gentle authority, and incredible compassion and kindness. He's the kind of man that when he's talking to you, He's always reminded me of Fred Rogers for that. You just, there's no one else there. He's that focused. He's that present. He has spent his life caring for the sick and the dying and even the dead. He's been a hospice nurse. He has been somebody there always to comfort those who are in need. I don't know that he would want this known, but I'm, because it's something that you do privately. But he would, after ministering to the dying, if they were Jews, he would often be part of the group 
of Jewish men who would lovingly prepare their bodies for burial, washing them, gently clothing them, holding them, never leaving them alone. None of these dead have been left alone. People sit with them and will until they are buried. Those of you who pray, please pray for Dan. Joyce Feinberg, quintessential uh, mother, grandmother, wife, and smart as a whip. I knew her through her husband, Stephen, and the, the last time I was at Tree of Life was for his funeral, just two years ago. They were Canadian Jews. Stephen was an amazing, brilliant CMU statistician professor. He was recognized internationally. He was always flying off here and there. And um, God, I've never seen two grandparents who so <laughs> well. Kveld is the Yiddish word over their grandchildren, some of whom live in Paris. Just wonderful, good people, all of whom give back, involved in volunteer community building kinds of work. It's how I knew all of these people because they engaged in helping others after their own needs were met, maybe sometimes even before. Jerry Rabinowitz, who will be buried tomorrow, was that most uncommon of doctors. He refused to join a big practice. He had his own little office in Bloomfield and he, anyone who was his patient will tell you, unlike the experience of most of us when we go to doctors now, he took his time. He talked about you, talked with you, not just about whatever was ailing you, but talked about your life. Was always there for anyone. A remarkably giving person. As is his wife, Mary. I saw, um, <coughs> I don't know who it was, <coughs> maybe it was, uh, what's his name on CNN, Wolf Blitzer, interviewing uh, Rabbi Chuck Diamond, who was the rabbi at Tree of Life for, I think, a, a little while. And he said, is there a prayer that would be apt now, Rabbi? And Rabbi Diamond said, I'm tired. I'm tired as a rabbi 
throwing my hands in the air, beseeching God. He said, it's time for action. And his words were beautifully, I thought, echoed by the current rabbi who survived the shooting last night at Soldiers and Sailors Hall. This is Rabbi Jeffrey Myers. And he had just been through, I can't even imagine. You maybe have seen pictures of him being taken out of the synagogue, his prayer shawl sort of askew over his corners. He's, he's trying to hold on to his yarmulke. He, there is a police officer in front of him with a gun drawn and he got up there last night and he was very clear he said about this carnage, it starts with words. And then he said to all of the politicians that were there, specifically called them out, and said that the solution to this has to start with you, he said. And boy, that crowd of thousands erupted. And there were even, there was an eruption of people saying, vote, vote, vote just as there was an eruption like that at the vigil on Friday night outside on the corner of Forbes and Murray. I love this rabbi. He said he was at home Saturday night after enduring a horror unspeakable and he realized he had to speak and he was thinking of scriptures what scripture would and he said I first thought of the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want and then he said well God I do want. I want these 11 beautiful souls back. And you can't do that. There's a, I don't know if it's a tradition in Jewish worship, <laughs> but I remember it as a child, that especially old men, I remember Mr. Katz, always in the front row, bearded Holocaust survivor. And he would keen while praying you would hear his voice and there were, I remember the first time I saw him do it, I saw Mr. Katz while he was praying shake his fist at God. And I felt that the rabbi last night, he reminded me of Mr. Katz, yes, he has a very personal relationship with God, so tight, so intimate, so loving that you can fight with him. 
You can say I'm angry at you. What do you mean I shall not want? I do want. And then if you haven't seen it, I suggest you find it. The rabbi ended by singing a Jewish song of mourning called Kel Rachaman. And it was hearing him sing that song with such feeling, with such tears in his voice, with such agony and anguish and anger. There's a reason that sometimes Jewish music sounds mournful. And this song is haunting in its mournfulness. And this rabbi cried it out of the depths of his broken heart. And there's a reason there's such extraordinary songs in the Jewish religion because we're a people who have mourned a lot. I remember as a kid arguing with other Jewish kids if it could ever happen here. Jews in America had found a promised land. Finally, a place where we could be accepted, live, be absolutely Americans. And I got to tell you, actions like this and the fact that we know that there are millions of Americans who feel the hatred that this man felt, maybe don't act on it. One of the Alderdice students, these amazing girls who put together a vigil in a few hours that drew thousands into the rain Saturday night in Squirrel Hill. She said, I've been a Jew in Squirrel Hill. I've always been a, that's who she is, a Jew in Squirrel Hill. And she said, I'm a different Jew now. That's a woke Jew. I don't know. I don't know what else to, to say. I walk by, drive by Tree of Life every, every day. And it's always sort of been a touchstone, you know. Uh, if I'm rushing home, I'm at Tree of Life. I'm as good as there. And now, I can't imagine how every time I see it, how I will feel. I think Mayor Peduto has been an exemplary during this. Obviously, the Pittsburgh police, amazing, exemplary. The outpouring of 
religious leaders from all faiths at last night's vigil. So, so good for the repair of the soul. Wasi Muhammad, a man I know, wonderful guy. Head of the Islamic Center. Telling all of those Jews, just tell us what you need. And we're there starting a online funding thing to help that they'll turn over to the families. And in less than 24 hours, it had brought in $70,000 from the Muslim community here. Saying that we will stand guard for you if that's what you want. If you don't feel safe, we will stand guard. And then he pointed out, and I want you to know, we are just repaying the offer that you gave us. The Jewish Federation a few years back hired a former FBI agent, security specialist, and um, he has been helping synagogues and Jewish organizations uh, upgrade security. The Jewish community earlier this year lent him out to the Muslim community <laughs> and they said here I think you need to have this help as well. That's the America I love. That's the America that I pledge allegiance to. And I hate to bring Trump in, but I must. His first remarks, practically, were to blame the dead. <laughs> well, if they'd had an armed security in there. And Tell me this, if in order for Jews to gather to pray on their Sabbath, in all those synagogues that we have, Squirrel Hill alone has God knows how many, little ones, big ones, orthodox ones, reform ones, all over the place. If in every one of those synagogues, Jews have to have armed guards while they pray for peace and while they say Shabbat Shalom to each other, a peaceful Sabbath, surrounded by armed guards. Will you please explain to me how that does not make a mockery of freedom of religion? If the only, and the president saying this, the president saying if we want to worship and not be mowed down, well, you should have uh, armed guards. I think that only applies actually to black churches, mosques, and synagogues. I guess white Christians, generally speaking, can go to church and not feel like they need armed guards. Um, 
I have to tell you that when I heard that Donald Trump said he was coming here, for what purpose, I don't know. Um, I guess because that's what presidents do. But since this is a guy who doesn't do what any other president does, has ever done, who revels in spurning being presidential, who makes fun of it, why would he be coming here to play act at being mournful, mournfully presidential, reading some lines that somebody has written for him before jetting off to another rally to rouse his base, to spew the hateful rhetoric that he is a master of. Let's make no mistake, you can draw a direct line from Trump's speech to the carnage that happened on Wilkins Avenue Saturday. As the rabbi who survived it said, it starts with words. And how has this president spoken of immigrants, rapists and murderers, invaders, this caravan of brown desperate people heading our way have been likened to an invasion. And in fact, that is exactly what the killer referenced. His last post before he went off to take care of the problem. He referenced a Jewish agency that helps settle people once they get here. He referenced them and then said, that he was going in. He was not letting these invaders, he used the word invaders, he suggested that they were coming to kill us. And he was not going to let that happen. And so he went full of purpose and hate spurred on by presidential rhetoric, buttressing his sense that he was defending his country from invaders. And he went and mowed down all those old Jews who he saw as a threat. Let me tell you about HIAS. That's the organization. It stands for, I'm not even sure, Hebrew Assistance Committee? I don't know. But it is like, It is one of a number of agencies, I think Catholic Charities would be another, that is, um, has, works with the State Department <laughs> so that once immigrants are allowed in, refugees, asylum seekers are allowed in, that these groups then come in and actually one-on-one help the person, help the family, help them find housing, help them get a Social Security number, help them, help them. And yes, they operate here in Pittsburgh. In fact, one of the people that HIAS helped in Pittsburgh recently 
is a guy named Mazen Hassan. He's Muslim. He came from Iraq where he had worked with the American military and had to get out of Dodge. And so it was this Jewish refugee uh, resettlement agency, H-I-A-S, that helped Mr. Hassan. And he will always remember that. He has since, and this is what Trump's base hates, this man now lives in our community, helped by Jews. We are so happy with the life we have here, he says, which the Jewish agency helped us start. He has since... He has now two American-born children, grandchildren. His family here has grown to 16, and that's what they hate. This agency <coughs> is the agency <coughs> that helped all of those Soviet Jews come. And among those Soviet Jews that this agency helped was a guy named Sergei Brin, who was six years old at the time, who, as you know, I'm sure, went on to found Google. Not a rapist, not a murderer, not an invader, not somebody intent on causing anyone harm. We have a call. Caller, go ahead, please. Hey, Lynn, it's Mike in DC. Hi, Mike. Sorry for your loss. Thank you. I was um, shocked that I didn't know much about the Jewish burial process. Can you tell us something about it? Yeah. Can you tell us how it happens? If the, there's someone sitting there, and then I heard it's sitting Shiva, but that's not the same thing you talked no, no, about, no, right? No, 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 no. Uh, it, it is not. Um, the body is never left alone so that um, even if a body, for instance, the body is taken to a funeral home, Jews are not embalmed. Um, a Jewish agents, Jewish people, men, women doing women, men doing men, is called a Hevra Kadisha, holy society. They go in and there's a very specific way that a body is cleaned, washed, uh, put in uh, linen shrouds called tachrikim, and uh, prepared for burial so that it is people in the community who hold this body, who carry it literally, physically, who place it in the coffin. Um, I, I mean, I could tell you specific rituals, but I'll, I'll disregard that. While preparing the body, never is anything, you know, uh, there's people on either side doing the work. Nothing is passed over a body because there is a sense that until burial, the soul of the person is hovering there. Um, I have myself done this. It is the most powerful uh, thing that you can do. And once the body is lovingly prepared, um, there is someone... Not for all, because a lot of Jews don't do this observance, but are not left alone. Someone sits through the night. Someone sits all day um, until the body is buried. So that's why the police said that they're working diligently to 
adhere to um, rituals, death rituals. They want to be able... I heard that. Yes, I, I would imagine, I mean, already, if Jewish burial traditions were able to happen in this case, um, these people would already be buried. Um, you're I, ideally to be buried 24 hours after death. Um, and obviously that's and not... Since that's not happening, somebody's probably sitting with them there in the mortuary. No, there, there is no doubt that these, these slaughtered are not alone. There is no way they are alone. That's lovely. I know. I think my mother always says, Jews do death really well. <laughs> the idea of getting a body in the ground so quickly is, um, is because once someone is dead, the love and energy turns to the living, the sense that it is the survivors that need comfort. Um, and and then that's where the sitting shiva comes that's in. That's where right you, you have buried right you have buried you bury the body and then you go to the house, and you sit. And sit for seven days. Yes, sit for seven days. Se seven days. Some don't do it that long, um, but the community just comes. They come and come and come. It's not like a wake. It's not. It's not a bunch of laughter. It's a lot of prayer. Uh, the people who you come to sit with have no obligations as hosts to talk to you or anything. They just sit. I mean, people can talk and do whatever, but you, everything is, uh, is done so that for whatever the person might want and might give them comfort. Um, one of all the mirrors are covered. Yeah, pardon me. Mirrors are covered. All mirrors. Mirrors, right? And are covered. Why that? I'm not sure why that is. I'm not sure why that is. I suppose something about vanity having nothing to do and showing where vanity is, you end up dead. I I, I bet it has something to do with that. Um, I I don't I don't know. Maybe you'll make me go look. The man who's fighting for his life. Um, Dan Ledger was a founder of one of the Hevra Kadishas here and actively engaged in this. Um, if he were not lying, fighting for his life, he would be now seeing to these eight men. Um, you know, Jewish burial rituals are very much like Muslim burial rituals. The Muslims, too, immediately bury. They wrap in shrouds. Um, no fancy dancy anything, right? You know, you come into this world naked, you go out naked. Um, many of the, many Jews are buried in a very simple pine box and they're lying on straw in the box. And you don't see the body, you just see... No, we don't... Nobody we, sees the casket? You don't do visitation, you don't look at uh, a dead body because... I mean, obviously, the sense is, what I have been told, is that you don't stare at somebody who can't look back at you. I don't know, but that's the Jewish way. Um, you can't stare at them. They can't engage you. Uh, so, yeah, I had never seen it dead. I mean, I uh, the Christian way of, of grief and burial is very, very different than, um, than Jewish. It's different in every every way, although it's quite clear, having attended all kinds of burial services, that... You know, you take comfort in the traditions and rituals you know, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, no. I mean, the family can certainly look on the 
the person. But, you know, there's nothing to see. They are wrapped in, their heads are covered. They are, they are wrapped in linen shrouds. No makeup. No jewelry. No nothing. No nothing. No. That's what it is. And speaking of no nothing, um, if Trump really wanted to help, which he doesn't, no. he would say, I have a son-in-law and a daughter who are Jewish. I have grandchildren who are Jewish. I think he might take refuge in that. <laughs> I, I do. Um, it doesn't give him any standing as far as I'm concerned. And I think uh, whatever... Judaism, Jared Kushner subs, uh, s sus subscribes to. Uh, it obviously hasn't uh, uh, been taken in. Um, and no, but it would stop his base. It would, it would inflame his base. The anti-Semitic portion of it, because he, they're who he hates. They aim at this guy who has Jewish people in his family. How do you reconcile that? <laughs> but. Trump will never say that to them. No. And I, I just want to say this idea that Jared Kushner is an Orthodox Jew is a joke. Okay? <clears throat> orthodox? Uh, yeah. He's said to be... How a, can he be Orthodox? Yeah, you tell me. Modern Orthodox, <laughs> it's called. Modern Orthodox. But do you see him wearing a yarmulke every day? I know... I've never seen him wearing a yarmulke. No, okay. Well, I know Reformed Jews, which is supposedly the most liberal end of Judaism. I know Reformed Jews where the men wear a head covering every day. This guy touts himself as a ortho modern Orthodox Jew. And give me a break. He lives none of the values taught by the religion. He's as much a Jew to me as these hateful, uh, Trump-loving uh, evangelicals are Christians. If you get my point. I do. All right. Well, thanks. By the way, right. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to... Thank you, Mike. I won't be here tomorrow, guys. I'm, I'm going to be at a funeral. And I, 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 would, I would not miss... I will not be here Wednesday. I was not going to be here Wednesday, but on Wednesday I will also be at a funeral. Things have changed. Nothing's the same. I want to say, as somebody who's always ragging on the television news, that they did, the local TV news did an exemplary job. Everything that I saw, I mean, maybe some missteps happened here and there, and I can assure you that in the days to come there'll be missteps because TV never knows when to say, all right, enough, back away, you know, it just starts becoming. But covering the breaking news and covering that vigil Saturday night and covering the vigil Sunday night, exemplary and uh, helpful, truly helpful. And I can't thank them enough. I am grateful. Let me get to your emails. Like so many, Henry writes, like so many, I spent the weekend glued to the television. I started making notes of things I wanted to mention on today's show, but my list is too long. And honestly, all that really matters are these 11 wonderful people and their families. When we heard that mournful chant of the rabbi on Sunday night, there was not a dry eye in my house, and none of us speak Hebrew. It didn't matter. You didn't need to know what he was saying to know what he was feeling. Wishing condolences and expressing sympathy just doesn't seem enough. 
Oh, and this is the part that's making me crazy, Henry. Pittsburgh is now and will forever be set in the same breath with Las Vegas, Sandy Hook, Orlando, Virginia Tech, Stoneman Douglas, Tree of Life, Squirrel Hill. You know, there have been so many beautiful things written about Squirrel Hill, about the neighborhood. And it's so true. It is as diverse and wonderfully welcoming a neighborhood as there can be. And it represents who we are. We are not, and we cannot allow that evil man, whose name I will not say, to define this city, my neighborhood, one guy and he'll be taken care of I keep saying everybody seems to say I live three blocks from tree of life I live three blocks from tree of life the mayor lives three blocks from tree of life county executive Fitzgerald lives two blocks <laughs> from tree of life People have mentioned that Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, raised his family three blocks from Tree of Life. Steeler coach Mike Tomlin, one block from Tree of Life, nine houses down. Um, it's a wonderful neighborhood. And I remember being shocked to hear, but it's true, and I'll pass it on, Jews are not a majority in Squirrel Hill, <laughs> okay? Jews are never a majority anywhere, even in Squirrel Hill, but it's a huge Jewish presence because, you know, Jews make up just a tiny little percentage of, uh, of uh, Americans' population, um, any, any population, but... Uh, Oh, Squirrel Hill is just a wonderful polyglot, different languages, different races, different religions, and all welcome, all welcome there. You don't feel hate in Squirrel Hill. Ray writes, was in shock, then the text that a dear friend's brothers were among them murdered. You know, Amy, my producer, I said, did you know anybody? And it was she, her grandmother, very much knew those two brothers. Gentle, kind souls. And Amy said something that I think is, is true. There was a blessing in them going together because they were always together and that one without the other was sort of unthinkable so Ray Wright I was in shock and then the text that dear a dear brothers friends brothers were among the murdered then shock turned to grief I can't imagine what she was going through I and many of the non-Jewish friends and they are legion have been invited to the service tomorrow at Road of Shalom. Again, it's going to spill out into the streets. Is there any protocols we should be aware of? We are all old men with tears in our eyes. There's no protocol. No. No. You're going in love and respect and to console the living. I mean, their parents are alive. They're burying their boys. Gigi writes, I'm so sorry for your loss. Seeing our city come together is heartening. Seeing that leaders have told Trump that he is not welcome here. Well, there is a, a, a petition a circulating from so-called Jewish leaders. It's just from Jews in general. Telling Trump, don't come. I must say, I put out a tweet the minute I heard he was coming. Um, I did tweet 
something about don't, please. Don't come here playing presidential and intruding on our grief. He has no place here. None. And you can bet he doesn't want to come. He has no empathy. He's not capable of, I mean, throwing towels at survivors in Puerto Rico. Huh? We don't want him here. And I hope to hell someone gets in touch with him and lets him know that it won't be pretty if he comes. I saw the mayor asked by someone, um, will the president be welcome there? And he flinched <laughs> and then came up with a great um, answer. Uh, he said, I think that's for the families to decide. And knowing some of these families, I can tell you they would not want him intruding on their grief. Lou says, I plan to call the 311 hotline and request the mayor ask him not to come. Well, I don't know if... I think the mayor handled it right. And I think that... I don't know. Milton wrote as the receptionist for the Children's Institute and UPMC re Rehab Hospital for 17 years. Oh, really? That's right across the street. I'm quite familiar with Tree of Life and many of its congregants. Both of the brothers, both of the Rosenthal brothers, were frequent visitors to my lobby, as was Mrs. Mallinger. This is the 97-year-old. All three are now gone. For years, I worked and spoke with Dan Ledger. Your words describing him were spot on. When speaking with him, your issue, your grief, your pain were the only thing in his entire world during the exchange. I've had him in my thoughts consistently since I read his name among those injured. I feel your pain this morning, the sense that a church or synagogue, think of it, it's a sanctuary. That's where they were praying. A sanctuary. What does that mean? It means you're safe. Donald Trump wants us to have sanctuaries with guns. Milt says, those who I knew and know embody the goodness, compassion, and sense of community so many of us appreciate and try to emulate in our daily lives. They are the best. Thank you for sharing your pain with all of us. As I watch CNN from here in Columbus, I began immediately to think of this Monday morning show, and I look forward to connecting vicariously to my hometown and tree of life through your words. Um... Thank you. He's sent me a post of the service last night that we could put on my Facebook page. We will we will do that. Um, it's toward the end that the three rabbis from the three congregations speak, and that and this uh, amazing uh, uh, rabbi uh, from Tree of Life who escaped. Craig writes, thank you for sharing the Jewish burial practices with us. We have much to learn about one another. I'll tell you a Jewish burial practice that has been picked up by everybody, it seems, is that when you visit um, a cemetery, visit someone there, we leave a stone. And I now see stones um, all over on they aren't Jewish on uh, people have picked up on that uh, Jewish custom just to say I was here 
please know that we are with you as you attend the funerals and that you represent those of us who are far flung but whose hearts are broken. Absolutely. And I must say that another wonderful thing that happened as a result of this is I got phone calls. Yes, oh, I was on the phone all day. I heard from distant family members that I haven't spoken to. I heard from friends from high school who I haven't spoken to. I heard from a woman who used to live here and knows knows four of the dead and she's in Southern California caring for her mother and she was just distraught and needing to touch base to feel closer. She said, I feel so powerless and I said, well, you know, if you were here, you'd feel the same. Okay, well, I, I need to go. I'm, I'm sorry that I'll be absent. Um, I, I'm intending to be back on Thursday, okay? Um, I don't know. Thank you for, for listening to me. I, I needed to speak and share. God bless you all. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.